Welcome to the Next in Time podcast, where we explore the fascinating depths of how people have the potential of impacting the world with the mission and vision of their project. Join us on this audio journey as we uncover the hidden gems of one's vision, delve into thought-provoking discussions of why they're pursuing it, and see how they're going to make an impact. If you're a curious person, this podcast is your go-to destination. Hey everyone, welcome to the Next in Time podcast. I'm your host, ST, and today our guest is Jonathan Green. He is the author of ChatGPT Profits, the blueprint to becoming a millionaire using artificial intelligence. And he is someone who is on the cutting edge of solving many problems with AI and how he, and he's someone who can, you can talk to regarding how one can thrive using AI tools. So Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, ST. I'm really excited to be here and you know I love talking about AI. AI, basically, you're in the you're in the right place at the right time because the topic of discussion amongst technology folks is or enthusiasts is AI. Right before it was crypto, now it's AI, <laughs> and yeah, it's definitely this year's trend. I think that finally we have AI tools that are actually useful, whereas before they were just kind of interesting toys. So everything's changed over the past twelve months. Like, what are some ways that, what are some tools that you think are changing the landscape, particularly AI, particularly AI tools? Yeah, I think the most important foundational AI tools are going to be ChatGPT, which is just getting better and better. It's kind of the forefront. It was the first one to draw a lot of attention. That one's really great for creating content, for creating images now, for creating logos. It has image generation. It's great for research. They've opened up plugins. So people are building tons of add-on plugins, which are really making it amazing. And the other tool that's really important is called Perplexity. Perplexity is amazing because it's a research AI. The thing that ChatGPT is the worst at, which is research, it's information is two years out of date. Perplexity has information up to the date today, and you can control which resources it uses. You can say, hey, only search YouTube or only search um, like peer-reviewed journals or only search news sites. So you can get the type of information you want. With those tools combined, you can really do just about everything, and they cost basically nothing. Right, and also you're the be you're a best-selling author of 300 plus books. How are you able to How are you able to write so many books all at once? Yeah, I'm just really fast. Everyone eventually finds a thing that you're really good at. So I wrote ChatGPT Profits in eight days, and I was like annoyed myself that it took so long. Which is there were a lot of sections that I had to do a slower way. Normally I dictate my books. It takes a couple of hours to get the first rough draft down. But once you do something over and over again, that seems real. What seems really hard before becomes really easy. So it's just the first book is the hardest. The second book's a little easier. The third book's a little easier and you start to get better and better to where it just becomes second nature. But it's really about developing a process, kind of getting a feel for it, finding your style, and then just putting in the effort once you have your system. And what is the uh well what is the process that you undertake when you're trying to do these books sure i have a pretty simple 10 chapter formula that i start from from some of my books and that's my kind of mean potatoes swiss army knife outline which is really introduction which is what's a really powerful story that connects to the book that i can tell half of at the beginning and half of it at the end the next chapter is going to be like why you should read this book, how the book's going to change your life. After that, the chapter is why you should listen to me, why I know enough about the subject or why I have the expertise or knowledge or research to make it worth reading. 
Then I'm going to have three chapters of like the biggest mistakes and three chapters of the biggest ways to succeed. And then I bring it home with a conclusion. So that brings it to 10 chapters. And it's really kind of the outline I start from. Not every book follows that outline. Some go on different paths and different tangents. And I have a couple of other outlines, but that's the standard one I use for most of my books and with most of my clients. And so what is the, so how, who are the, what are the typical types of clients that you work with? It's at least someone who doesn't have enough time to finish their book. Either they've tried it and realized it takes a long time. Many authors, their first book takes two years, three years, five years. The second book takes two years. The third book takes one year. They start to get a little bit faster. Once, whereas with me, it's going to be 90 to 120 days. So they just want to get it done. And they realize that either they don't have the skill, they don't want to spend a lot of time learning that skill or they don't have the time. And usually when people write, they they always start off, I mean, especially people write, uh, if, you had, if you have to categorize it between fiction and nonfiction, some people who, work, who do fiction, it's a, okay, it's a, it is a lot more work than people who do nonfiction. So do you have, do you do only nonfiction or do you do fiction as well? What's your expert, what's your area? My expertise is really in nonfiction. So I only read fiction. I only write nonfiction. It's definitely different. So to write nonfiction, it's all about research, putting the pieces in place, eliciting the story from the client or whoever the main character is, whereas non, whereas fiction, you have to create everything, the universe, the rules of the universe the narrative structure, the story has to carry everything. Whereas with not with nonfiction, you have the story and the information. So you have two things. And as long as one is good, the book will do okay. And if both things are good, the book will do really well. So it's definitely a different type of challenge. All right. So in order to get to know more about what how you got into the AI space, let's get to know more about you, John. Like, tell me more about your background, where you come from, what made you become who you are right who you are today. Sure, it's been a long time working a career thinking that that was kind of the path to success that you just have to find the right job with the right organization and then they'll carry you through the rest of your life kind of provide you that job security but not true at the first opportunity or the first kind of anything companies will jettison you to protect their reputations or if there's an economic downturn or if they just have one department do bad then they fire someone from every department so there's not really any such thing as job security anymore. It may have existed before I was born. It certainly hasn't existed since I've been born. So after losing my job when I was 29, I realized that when your boss fires you, as you get older, it's more and more devastating. It's a lot harder to pivot. It's a lot harder to figure out what you're going to do next. There's a lot more pressure on you as you have a lot more bills. Like they say, more money, more problems. It's true. Your bills just get more expensive. Your kids are in school. You got to pay for braces or medical bills and all sorts of other things. So losing your job later in life is a lot more devastating. Most of the time when you lose your job in your 20s, it's your fault, right? When I was in my 20s and I got fired, it was my fault. But as you head to your 30s, usually it's not your fault, right? There's a downsizing. The CEO was cooking the books and everyone's fired. Something sketchy happened with the accounting department. All We hear about all these companies, right? We always hear about the CEO messed around. But you forget that like, Bear Stearns collapsed because they were messing around with accounting records and like 10,000 people lost their jobs, right? And it wasn't any of their fault. It, yeah, it's just so, more, it's more like it's the people at the top making the wrong, making really bad decisions or screwing things up that just leads to a bunch of layoffs. And because so in a way, it's just like that feeling. I mean, as you like, say, as you get older, you become confident at your job, you become very successful at your job, but then your reward should be a pension at the end of your career. But in reality, you're just like, <laughs> Shown the door. Yeah, it's really hard to get all the way through the finish line unless you're part of a really strong union. Like the UPS truck drivers have an amazing union and their members get paid 
50 dollars an hour they have amazing pensions but that they have to go on strike every 10 or 20 years to kind of get what they want but unless you have a strong union and not many organizations do anymore it's really hard and then again you're still depending on outside force because you can have problems with the union and then they don't back you up so you just never know how things are going to play out so my just i just learned the lesson when i lost my job at 20 i was like i got to take control of my financial destiny i don't i'm glad this happened before i have kids before i have a lot of responsibilities before i have a lot of bills and i just don't want someone else to be in charge so even when i have a bad month and don't make and the money doesn't come together it's not a great month it's all on me right it's not someone else's fault someone else doesn't have the ability to affect my income whereas when you're working for a company we saw over the last few years how many people got downsized or their hours got shut down it had nothing to do with them right the company had problems and so the companies had to shut down because of lockdowns and then who got the worst end of the stick was the workers so it's always that if you're not in charge of your own destiny and someone else is and they're always going to put themselves first yeah and what was the company you worked for Sure, I worked for a university. So I was in charge of a multi-million dollar program at a university, which I thought was my dream job. And I mean, I hated it. I hated it so much because there's so much bureaucracy. Whatever, like universities are just like government jobs because people want to get tenure. People want to get there, be able to stay there forever. And what you get is this ability to slow roll. They would give me a project like this, and this will take you six months. So just focus on this for the next six months. And I was done in two hours. And I was like, oh no, I don't have the ability to like it's like when you're needing pizza dough and you're like well i've got one pizza's worth here but i have to roll it into 100 pizzas or six months of pizzas i don't know how to do that right to fake work two hours into six months and i realized the job wasn't right for me so when it didn't work out it was the best thing ever happening i was like i was so depressed because i just had nothing to fill my days i didn't know how to fake it and there's a lot of internal politicking there's a lot of like passive aggressive sniping all of the stuff you get at large organizations where Everyone's trying, it's more worried about covering their own butts and getting credit and kind of all of those things that are no longer a part of my life. Like I don't miss any of that. Right. And then you were fired during a blizzard, which is a, it was yeah. an interesting, fin- which, is, which is like the most interesting time. You just get shown out the door. You walk in like a very uncomfortable conditions. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about, I was like, just on the way home, just don't crash. Just don't crash. Just don't make it worse. Right. Like don't like double down on this bad day and making it home was like, at least I got through that, but it's not my, like, I just happened to be in a blizzard. It's, I know so many people that have been fired on Christmas or like the day after the child was born, the day after surgery, like all of these things. I know people that they had to take a day off to go to like a family member's funeral and they came up and then they got a text, Hey, you're fired at the funeral. So like, Bosses are very callous. Like they just, and organizations are very callous. So my, I thought, oh, my story is unique. But then you meet tons of people that like have been fired in similar or worse situations. That you just start to realize. That I wish my story was unique. I wish I was the only person who was ever fired during like a storm. Well, but it's just not true. It's so common, unfortunately. You know, there's always this thing like, I, nowadays you have to be. You know, in the old days they say ordinary people got ordinary jobs now you gotta be superman to get to just get an ordinary job these days yeah when i graduated from college you know every college tells you hey as soon as you graduate we're gonna help you get a job i went to the jobs office at on campus right as i was graduating hey guys how we find a job what do i do and they just gave me a link to a job website that doesn't exist anymore maybe it does it was called monster.com at the time this is 20 years ago more than 20 years ago now and it was just a job listing site and i I looked around the room and said, how many of you guys graduated from this university? Like we all went here. And I was like, oh no, you're losers. 
you never left, right? It's like the people who have been on, college, on the college campus for 20 years, but they're not doctors. They never, they hadn't left and come back. Or it's, it's like There's one of the, it's like, you ever, have you ever seen the movie, the PhD movie or, or anything or something like that, where a lot of PhD students are left behind while their fellow peers who actually graduate go out into the real world are uh, living the life. <laughs> yeah, there's these students who the only thing that I do is stay and work at the university and you kind of live in this like limbo where you're in college but not in college and some people stay for a couple years some people stay for a really long time and I didn't realize that until I walked in the room and realized oh none of these people's ever had a job like there's nothing worse than getting advice or coaching from a group of people that have no idea what they're talking about so I walked out of that room and was like oh I have to take charge of my own destiny and that's kind of the trick of universities a hundred years ago University was a great decision because you'd meet other people that would give you jobs. That was how it all worked. These days, not so much. It makes very little difference. No one really cares what university you went to after you're like 25. If someone does, it's really weird. Like, I don't know where any of my employees went to university. Uh, or even uh, unless, they... unless, they st unless they still have pride in their Ivy League degrees, then nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, it just, it shouldn't last past your first job because... When I hire someone, I'm like, hey, can you do this, right? So I have a video editor. He edits my videos. They look amazing. That's an A or B. Either he can do it or he can't. I don't care where he went to school. I don't care what his favorite color is. I don't care if he's married. None of that matters to me. I just care if he can do the job. And that's really not the mindset you get from university, right? The university mindset is like, oh, well, I went to the school. Yeah, but can you do the job? And you have to switch to that mindset if you really want to grow. Right. And so now that you moved to South Pacific, you start, you started this online business, right? Yeah. I started my business the, the day after I lost a job. I was like, I'm going all in. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to build my own business. I never want to work. I kind of said this. I was like, I never want to ever talk to another person. I just want to use my computer, make money, never interact with people again. Hmm. That didn't work out much. It turns out that building an online business means you have to make a lot of friends and a lot of connections, but. I wanted to be in control of my destiny from that moment. So that's the last time I boss and I just made that decision and just I've been building the company for 13 years now. Uh, 13 years. This, this was back in like 2010 when you got laid off. Yeah. February of 2010. In fact, it'll be, it's almost 14 years now that I think about it just a couple more months. And so now you live on a tropical island in the South Pacific. So when you made, when did you make that loop? So. It took me about three years to get my business strong. And with a lot of the people who were building online business at the same time, I became friends with, I was like, oh, we're all gonna travel the world, have adventures. And then they all didn't. They all started building offices and hiring bigger teams and buying suits. I was like, wait, we're going back to the offices that we escaped from? I don't wanna do that. So they all, a little bit were like kind of shocked. I actually hit the road. I, so I went to a bunch of countries, bouncing around, um, India, then Hungary, then Ukraine, then England, then Thailand, and back to India, like all over the place. So I was just going from country to country. And then I met some business partners and ended up meeting my wife. So I was like, oh, I'll stick around. But if I'm going to stay here, I want to live somewhere amazing. So we have this idea that like the technology freezes. We have this idea that only America has the internet. <laughs> like some people in America are like, you have internet in other countries? Where I live, we have three providers of high-speed internet. Like we have, actually it's four now. Sorry, a fourth one just moved in. So we have satellite internet that's high-speed. We have gigabit internet. We have another company that goes up to 50. Another company goes up to 250. Like we no. have more internet. Dude, where I went to high school. It's like crazy. 
Well, I mean, because we got a very, uh, we Americans have gotten a bit complacent in this, in this, in the race for high-speed internet. Before, now it's like everyone who wants to who wants to improve their lives have no choice but to get high high speed internet. We're still kind of like working our way out of this out of our complacency. Yeah, I mean, I still know people that have like AOL, and I'm like, you have you use a phone and dial into the internet. Like I thought that died in 1999, but you just get used to something sometimes, and it's familiar, so you don't make change. But we reassess our internet like every three months. We look at different options where I live to see if someone's got a better deal or someone's faster and kind of, we've changed inter providers a lot. We just changed whoever's got something faster is a better deal. And as we move to different neighborhoods, different providers have better connections. So we're constantly looking at because it it's a major part of my business. And usually we have multiple connections. If one goes down, we have a backup. And it's just kind of a different approach to it. Like in America, you'd never think about having two internet connections, but you know, sometimes a company does go down. Like even if it's a really big company, something goes wrong with their servers or they have a power outage at the main hub, suddenly you lose your internet for a couple hours. That's a big deal when it's my job. Like I wouldn't want to lose this connection while we're on this call. So it's a, you have to make some adaption, some different changes, but considering the cost of living here is like 3% of the cost of living in America. Like it's second internet connections still cheaper than the you know everything you can get in america and now you're all i've forgotten i've also seen that you're the host of the artificial intelligence podcast um to, yeah so do you normally talk about ai and just the different tools of ai that you work with to be able to generate like revenue like passive income or revenue or what? yeah the focus is really on practical use of ai they're kind of two really popular tracks right now there's one thing which is super technical Let's talk about how ChatGPT is built. Let's talk about how ChatGPT is trained. Let's talk about how much electricity is burned each time you ask a question. That's one end of the spectrum, which is a super technical, which is very few people are interested in. The other end of the spectrum is like, here's something really cool that happened. This new AI came out or this new update came out or this thing happened or this new video thing happened. Like people love to talk about AI video, make AI videos and they're cool, but they're not useful because you can tell. So I try to be in the middle of the road, which is what's the least amount of AI you need to accelerate your business. And really, honestly, you, I used to say it's $32 a month, but there's been some changes and now it's 20. You really only need the pro, the plus version of ChatGPT, and you can basically do everything. Now their image generation has gotten as good or close to as good as Midjourney. They have image to text, which Midjourney doesn't have yet. So the main image generator I used to recommend, like ChatGPT made a good move by really updating their image generator recently. So the cost really cuts down a lot of your costs. Like you shouldn't be spending any money on SEO software. You shouldn't be spending any money on a lot of tools that used to be a big part of my arsenal. You shouldn't have, I used to have a big stock photo license. I used to have all these SEO and research tools. And now I could do all of those. Now, if you want to go to the next level, perplexity, which is free for research, but you can make it a little faster if you want to also pay them $20 a month. But I don't really think it's necessary with them because it's so good without it, unless you're using them for article writing or more complicated stuff, which, you know, you don't need to, you can get the research for there and write the articles with chat GPT, but that's really it. Like you don't need to spend a lot of money. Whereas a few years last year, my software expense was like $2,000 a month. And now it's a couple hundred dollars across my whole company. So it's really put a massive downward pressure on what software companies can charge. And it's made market better for everyone, for consumers like us.
do you know with your ventures right now other than writing what else do you and podcasting what else do you do with ai oh i almost everything's with ai editing my books with ai i research podcast guests with ai write all my social media posts with ai sometimes so i don't always i have an idea for something i want to tweet about and then i'll rewrite the tweet in chat gbt and have it add emojis and stuff like that because i'm not good at emojis and it's always been a hurdle for me. Like I grew up under emoticons, which kids hate, right? It's where you just use other characters to draw out the faces. They're like, no, you have to use the actual pictures of faces, which to me removes the whole point in the first place of like being clever. So things like that, or I'll have it change the language. So I'm always having it, if not right, the idea, I'll take my idea and tweak it. Same thing for my posts on LinkedIn. I do all my image generation. So every logo, every image on the social media post, every image on my blog all come from AI tools now. Um, I'll have it clean up transcripts. I write my podcast show notes. I'll write my podcast description. All of these things. Every time I write an email, pretty much every email I write to my customers or my followers gets run through ChatGPT at least once, at least to clean up the grammar and spelling. So. People always, if I write an email that is misspelling, I get all these emails back. Hey, I thought you were an author. And I'm like, yeah, I'm an author, not an editor. Like it's a different scale. If I was a proofreader made misspelling, yeah, that would be a big deal. But um, sometimes I, like I write words faster than my hands can. So my hands make spelling mistakes that my brain isn't making. Just happened over the last few years where I have this issue. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like I misspelling words, but not really. Like I know the right spelling. So instead of manually going through and clicking on each red line, I can just have ChatGPT or one of my AI tools fix everything. So I use it for just about everything. I have it open 24 hours a day. It's always open. It's one of the biggest parts of my day. It's just basically just doing your, doing your work with utilizing these tools, but how do you use the AI to really make passive income? Sure. Most of my money comes from my email list. So I send out emails and people buy things. Best way to describe it. That's the biggest revenue generator is my email list. Cause when you post something on social media, let's say you post something on Facebook, there's all these ads on the side, there's ads in the middle, even in your chat with people, sometimes they show ads. There's so many distractions, there's other things, but we only read one email at a time. Email is still the one time you get someone's mostly undivided attention. So that's the primary centerpiece of my marketing. And I write every email with AI. I build my list by giving away free gifts I've designed with AI. So all of those things come from AI as well as I teach people how to use AI. And that's one of my, what my training courses are and I sell books about AI. So it really is almost everything I do built around revenue coming from AI. Right. And so with a, so where do you see the world of AI going in the next couple of years? I think it's going to shift from optional to mandatory within the next two to three years. I think that people who think of AI as a fad or who fight against it, like there's a lot of authors suing chat GBT or suing image generators saying, Hey, don't make images that look like me. And they're not going to win, right? Like all the people that trying to sue to stop MP3 sharing online, it didn't stop it. Right. Right. It becomes a distraction. What you have to do is figure out how can I be the first one to master this tool? Like I'm a good image generator, but a graphic designer is always gonna be able to do more than I can. Right. They have the combined skill. So it's an accelerant. So the people who shift first will have the first mover advantage. But I think within two years, everyone will be using it. Every company that doesn't use it will be gone. Every employee that doesn't use it will be fired, which is good and bad because there are certain people who are intentionally doing it. Someone put some post on Twitter recently, like, oh, I'm so glad the chat GPT fad is open. I was like, this guy's definitely getting fired, like for sure, <laughs> because that's active ignorance. 
but I do feel bad for a lot of people who are overwhelmed by AI so they don't learn anything and it's going to pass them by and they're it's like imagine you can, you have two choices you can have an accountant who does everything with a book and a quill like a physical book and an old feather they dip in ink or an accountant uses a spreadsheet you would never hire the quill guy the same thing it's like well yeah you can have two copywriters one uses chat gpt and can do 10,000 words a day and one who doesn't can do 500 words a day right wouldn't you want 20 times more output for the same price so all that's going to happen is the market's going to shift to where it goes first it's gonna be like oh this is a crazy new tool that it's gonna be go, oh everyone should use this tool let's go i'm not hiring anyone that doesn't use this tool and he goes if you don't use this tool you're fired so it just matters how fast companies flip but they're all going to because the companies that don't will simply not exist anymore they'll go out of business instead if they don't and, and then their employees will be fired and so with a you know one thing with ai is that there's the fear that pe that jobs will be gone uh, people will start becoming very uh, some people who can't who really struggle with technology will just be put to the wayside. What would you, what advice would you give those people? Yeah. So the interesting thing about AI is that it's so much easier to learn compared to other technical tools, right? You're not learning programming, you're not learning coding. You can use natural language. You just have to kind of learn a process of communication to really master chat GPT takes one day. Like if you spend eight hours, just really focus hundred percent go, I'm just going to learn this in one day. You can't. And you can be a pretty solid user that quickly. Whereas, I mean, can you really learn the code in six weeks or a year? No, it's really hard and really complicated. It's like learning a foreign language. Yeah, just like how I felt, you know, when I learned code back in starting in middle school, high school, college, I could never crack it because I just don't, I never had the mentality to be able to think like a programmer. <laughs> I'm better off with just using tools that will and just be able, uh, you know, I've always considered myself more of a strategic thinker than what I call an algorithmic thinker. And I feel if I use the tool, if I learn how to use tools, then it will be a lot, a little much easier than simply developing the tool from scratch for me personally. And that's the cool thing is that the AI tools are getting smarter. Now AI tools can design your website they can write the copy on your website. They can write software for you and yeah i'm not a programmer but i've written two pieces of software and it's like i can tell if software works not or not when i run it right i can run something if i get the result i want and i know it worked just like with a formula so i can still error correct it by going oh this didn't work it didn't give me what i wanted so i have that ability to at least say it worked or didn't work so i think that as these tools get better and smarter and there's an r like a race between all these different tools there's like open source AIs, and Facebook and Google and Apple and Amazon are building AIs, they're all racing each other, Microsoft and ChatGPT, right? They're all racing, which is benefiting everyone that is keeping the costs down. The tools are going to get more efficient. Within two years, probably you're going to have an AI in your watch. Like they're going to get smaller and smaller and faster and faster. And it's going to, it's kind of pushing towards the singularity, which is the point where we no longer have scarcity. It's kind of interesting to see what the future holds. But it's important to understand is that it's going to happen either way. So you can either ride the wave or stick your head in the sand and let the wave crush you. But it's going to happen no matter what. It's an unstoppable force. The genie's out of the bottle. Even if all of the AI companies get shut down, open source AI, which is being developed by people just on their Linux computers, there's a new open source AI that comes out every single day. There's a new update and it's happening so fast. And it's beating the paid AIs. Like there's ChatGB 3.5, which was amazing in February, has already been beaten by a free open source one you can download to your laptop. Like that's how fast things are changing. And it's only going to get more faster and faster. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. 
What I love is that the free things are really amazing. They're really pushing. The only reason I don't do a lot with open source AIs is that they, there's a new one every day, right? And so there's not, um, what I learned one from today and a new one comes out tomorrow. So that's the only reason I don't do it a lot, but I do think it's probably where the future is going, which is something that means there's like a level playing field for everyone, which is kind of a cool place to be. So I think there's some really amazing things coming for the future. So in the coming, so one thing I wanted to ask was, what are the one, what are some things, what are some of the skills that humans have that AI can never make? Or you know, I think qualities? eventually, I think eventually, like even things that we think of as creative, like art and storytelling, because if you think about it, like if Joseph Campbell wrote the monomyth, there's like, there's only the only eight stories. It's like boy meets girl, one story. How many movies are that, right? Now the story is boy saves girl. That's a ton of movies, right? And then it's boy goes off to the war. So we only have about eight stories, right? There's the hero, the hero's journey. Lilo and Stitch follows the same progression as Star Wars. It's like the same thing. Something happens, the hero goes on a journey, they meet the enemy, they lose the first battle, they retrain, they win the second battle. All these movies follow that formula. So once you realize how formulaic movies are, like every single Marvel movie follows the exact same beat. You can just replace the character or the color of the uniform, but otherwise it's all the same movie, right? So I think that AIs can watch a ton of those and reverse engineer them. That's why like recently someone just got tired of waiting and they had ChatGPT write the final two model books of A Song of Fire Nice, the two George R. R. Martin books. Yeah. And he's suing them over it. And my feeling is like, man, you've had 12 years. You missed your shot. Like if you didn't want anyone else to do this, you, sh you had 12 years to write. If you didn't do it over the last 12 years, you're not going to do it. You know what I mean? Like right. no one's waiting forever. I Honestly, I was like, this person here was pretty, I wish I thought of that. I thought that was a pretty good idea because it's probably 80 to 90% as good as what he would do. And that's with current tools that they're only getting it better and better. So I don't know of anything that's a hundred percent unique. What really what you need is a person driving, right? A car can go across country technically, but without a driver, it's just going to go off the road. In the same way with ChatGPT, if you have a conversation, you don't pay attention to the answers, it goes insane within about 13 questions. And I mean, deep insane. So if you're not paying attention, the answers get really bad really quick. Eventually that will get better, but it's that error correction. It's going, oh, this is more interesting than this. I like this, I don't like that. It's, I like this image, not that image. That's really what you're doing. It's much more we're becoming choose your own adventurers and choose your own images. And so it's kind of, you're basically switching from the grinding to the manage which is fine. It's like, just like big companies pay someone else to draw a bunch of logos and they pick the one they like. Now I can just have an AI do it. So now rich people and poor people become equalized. That's yeah. kind of how I see it. I don't know if there's anything. It's more, it's, it's more like humans. Uh, it's like everyone is now becoming a manager of something, no matter what, wherever, whatever they do, wherever they are, it's like they're the manager of one particular thing that AI, like basically we're, we're the masters and AI are the slaves put it in some kind of that context. Yeah. It's, I just don't know. I mean, the whole idea of AI taking over and stuff, maybe it's going to happen, but it's like, I don't have the power to stop it. I think it's quite far away. I think that type of AI is really long way off. And it's just like, what we have now is just a tool that's like a little smarter. Like if you've ever used like a piece of software, or just didn't do what you want or just didn't understand what you were saying because you couldn't explain it really well. All these AI tools really do is have a better ability to use human languages instead of coding. That's all they're really doing. 
you can kind of describe what you want, but not very well. And it's more likely to give you a response that you like. That's really all that's happening. All right, cool. So Jonathan, I think we're going to leave our conversation at that. I just want to thank you for coming on the Next in Time podcast and wishing you the best of luck with seeing how you can transform the world with AI or you can help out people. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Next in Time podcast. We hope you enjoyed diving into the intriguing vision of our guest today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media to stay updated on future episodes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring.